I always love that story, right? Because there's this sense of, do you have faith that I can do something? And there's always a resounding yes, especially when it comes to the Lord. But when God calls us to get into the wheelbarrow, many of us choose not to. And I think that as we look at the story of Joshua and we unpack what I like to call crazy faith in his life, and this is just one glimpse of the crazy faith in his life, we will see the truth of something that Rob Reimer has said. He has said once before in his book, Spiritual Authority, our lack of faith limits the activity of God in our midst. It limits the activity of God in our midst. Now, he's not saying that God does not have the power to do stuff unless we approve of it. His statement is to the point of, if God says, here, sit in this chair or sit in this wheelbarrow, and we choose not to, we don't get to see God's work in our lives in that moment because we're not stepping into the wheelbarrow. Imagine if Moses said no to God's call on his life. God would have brought someone else into it, obviously, as we think through the process of what God promised Israel. But Moses would not have been the one to see the activity of God in his life. And that's the point that I'm trying to make with Blondin's story and also this statement of stepping into faith. We are called to a faith that seems crazy. We are called to a faith that is deep and wide, not just shallow. And so as we look at the story of Joshua this morning, we'll answer the question, what does crazy faith look like? What does crazy faith look like? Now, there is a whole lot more to faith than just what we will see from the life of Joshua. But this moment that we are all familiar with in Joshua's life, this, the walls of Jericho, are a great example of what crazy faith looks like. If you remember from last week, we looked at Joshua's strength and courage as God was calling him to a really big task of leading people into the promised land. Now we pick up the story where they are in the promised land and God is telling them, take the land, go after the promised land, take the promise as your own that I have given you. And he tells them to destroy and wipe out all of the people. And that's where we see and pick up this story of Joshua. But Joshua gives us five markers of crazy faith as we look at his story. And the first marker that we see is the marker of being scary. Now that sounds kind of weird. But as we un, 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 unveil what God is doing, we'll see that crazy faith scares the faithless. Crazy faith scares the faithless. Let's look at Joshua 6, 1 through 2. The word of the Lord. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. We look at this story, Joshua is moving in faith. He's going after the land and the stories of what Joshua has done, but most importantly, the stories of what God has done for the people of Israel has brought Jericho to its literal knees. 
the faith of these people as they have moved through what God had called them out of. The stories of what happened to Pharaoh, the great exodus of millions of slaves, what God had done with the plagues, all of these stories have gone before them. Jericho has heard these stories. And we know this not just from this passage, but from Joshua chapter 2 when the spies go in and they interact with Rahab. And Rahab shares, everyone is terrified that you're coming here. They have heard what God has done for you and through you. And they know that you are a mighty people and have a mighty God. And she asked to be saved from the death that was coming to the entire city of Jericho. They had faith that God was giving them the land. They moved in this faith and it terrified Jericho. They were closed up. The king was hiding. They were trembling in fear because they knew that the God of Israel was the God who was going to conquer them. The Lord declared to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. You don't have to worry. The battle's pretty much already done, Joshua. I have given it to you. Now go and take that which I have given. Now he could have said, well, you know, this is a big city. They have really big walls. They are a great army. They've heard of the stories of Jericho in the past of what they have done. And the king, who was kind of vicious and mean, they could have stepped back and said, ah, have you really given us this, this city? But God's promise, to, God's promise to Joshua was something that he walked and stepped in faith. This army believed and knew that the Lord had given them Jericho. They knew that they had been given Jericho. We're called to a crazy faith. That the world, as they look at the faith that we have and step into the promises which God has given to us, as we look at our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, and believe that God can do all things that He says He can and will do, the world looks at us like we're a little bit crazy. And that's okay. And those who are even believers, when we step out in faith, that seems to be a little bit ludicrous. Even our brothers and sisters might look at us and say, Are you sure? It's kind of like when we see the, the name change of the stadium of, you know, Heinz Field is now Acrisure. It's like the Pittsburghers are looking at these people saying, Aryansure. <laughs> you like that? You can meme that later. But they're looking at people of crazy faith and saying, are you really sure? Are you really sure? And you say, look at the Bible. Look at what God says about his promises. Look at all he has already done. We look at our story in the past and we look at our present and see the powerful, mighty, awesome God. In Matthew 17, 20 through 21, we see Jesus talking about faith as small as a mustard seed. Faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains. Now, God's job is to move the mountains. Our job is to step in faith, even just a little bit of faith, knowing that God will part the sea, that God will move the mountains. Even small faith can do big things. Even small faith can do big things. Listen, God promises that when you and I live and speak the truth of the gospel, 
that some will come to faith, that some will believe in and on Jesus. But how often do we really believe that or step in fear and say, oh, I can't, I can't talk about it. God promises that when we pray, that he hears. God promises that when we ask for healing, that he will give the healing that we need, not always the healing that we want. God promises that when we confess our sins and step into the light, as he is in the light, the darkness leaves our life. But we don't often hold him to these promises. We shy away. We just live shallow faith. Right? There's a difference when we say that I believe that Jesus has saved me from Satan's sin and death. But then there's a different, deeper faith that says Jesus is my Lord and I will follow him anywhere and everywhere he calls me to. There's a difference. We see that Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our sanctifier. And being sanctified means that we're stepping into things that are a little bit terrifying and we become holier and holier as we believe on Jesus and trust in him and step in faith. Simpson in the book Land of Promise, which we talked about and is being printed this week and will be here this, this coming week and at Mahaffey, he says this, some people seem to think that all is necessary is to have faith and they claim anything they please, but not at all. The will must be surrendered to God, and His Word must be accepted about all things before we shall be able to believe them. What's his point? He's saying faith is not just saying, I claim it in the name of Jesus, right? as we've heard so many times before. Faith is saying, I am going to surrender to what the will of God is and ask what the will of God is. And when he shares with me his will, I can say this will happen because God has promised it, because God has said it. We are surrendered to the will of God and we can step in that faith knowing that God will come through. That small faith does seem a little bit crazy. That small faith to the faithless may look at us and say, how can you believe this? But man, when God shows up, man, when God shows up, when he pulls through with his promise because he is always pulling through with his promises, man, that changes and strengthens and bolsters our faith and the faith of those around us. The second marker we see is obedience. Crazy faith is marked by radical obedience. Crazy faith is marked by radical obedience. It's not just this, hey, I have faith. I'm going to own it and claim it. But there is an act of obedience on our part. Remember, last week we saw this if-then part about Joshua's strength and courage. If you meditate on my word, if you walk in my ways night and day, then you will be strong and courageous. Then you will take the land. There is an if-then. We have a part to play. It's not just saying, oh, God's going to take care of it. He says, no, you have a part to play. Crazy faith is marked by radical obedience. There's a long passage in here, so I want you to tuck in with me here as we look at Joshua 6, 3 through 11, and it tells the story of Jericho and what God called Joshua and the people of Israel to do. The word of the Lord. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. 
On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. Okay, let's just think in a military fashion for just one moment. If you look at this military strategy, it's bananas. It doesn't make any sense at all. This military strategy is to walk around a city blowing trumpets. You're not throwing any spears. You're not, you're not beating anyone up with swords. You're not breaking down the door with a, a door breaker. You're not even intimidating them by shouting because they weren't allowed to shout yet. They're blowing horns and walking around the city in a circle. Now, when you look at that story, God tells Joshua to do it, and Joshua does it. Joshua obeys the Lord, and he goes then to his military strategists, and they sit down, and he says, I have the strategy. God gave it to me. Here it is. Now, if you're a general in any type of military experience at all, and you hear this type of strategy, you're probably looking at each other sideways and thinking, is Joshua actually serious? But they don't question. They do what God says to do. Now think with me also in a vulnerability sense of a military strategy. You are walking outside of a city wall. If you've watched any medieval anything in your entire life, you'll know that they have archers at the top of the wall. If you come close to the wall, they'll throw like oil on you or throw rocks on your head or shoot you with arrows. You are completely vulnerable to all kinds of attacks. It doesn't make sense offensively. It does not make sense defensively. It is the worst military strategy that you could ever ever imagine. But they obey, and they march, and they do that which God called them to do. 
That is radical obedience. Howard, a commentator, says the ritual nature of the episode is suggested by the absence of any military strategy. He's saying the military strategy actually is the absence of any military strategy. This was a crazy moment in their lives. But Joshua obeys. God shows up. God says, do this thing and the walls will fall. Now, people, I'm sure even millions of people shouting at even just the church walls, nothing would happen. It would be really loud and really annoying for all of us inside the building, but it wouldn't crack the brick. It wouldn't break anything down, so it still is a very difficult thing to think would be true. The Lord may be calling you to something crazy. We, as believers, are called to radical obedience. Maybe the Lord is saying something specifically to your heart and you know that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do that thing or step into that obedience and you're terrified. But crazy faith is marked by radical obedience. The leaders of the church and I, we met on Tuesday and we talked about where God is taking us as a church. The faith that we are to have to move forward with what God is calling us to as a church. Not just me as a pastor, but us as elders and business board and congregants. That we are moving forward in what God has called us to. Let me share with you something that I heard from the Lord when I first stepped into this place as the pastor. When I was being interviewed, and I've never shared this on a congregational level before, so this is a radical obedience on my part, because this is a big, impossible task to do outside of God's work in us and through us. When I stepped into the sanctuary and I heard the story of our church, where we had a two-service issue going on in the the children's wing, used to be the sanctuary, for those of you who are new. And we had two services, and they were packed. And the Lord said to our people, build a new sanctuary so that we can fill it, so that we can have one service, so we can move forward. And men and women in this congregation, and some who have passed on, or some who have moved away, they believed in faith that that's what God was calling them to do. They sacrificed their time. Some spent time building. Others spent time picking out the colors and, the, and all of the designs and figuring out the architecture. Some sacrificed their, their, their construction business to help build. Others sacrificed money. Others sacrificed prayer. And by 2003, this building was built. Now, here's the thing that's interesting, is that at that year, we had 315 people as a regular membership of Indiana Alliance Church and a congregation that was that size. Even 315 people didn't fill this room, so there was room for growth. Yet, there was a sense that if you look at all of our data, that after that year, our congregation began to dwindle. But I believe that God desires deeply to honor the sacrifices and the faith 
of the people that went before us to fill this sanctuary. Not just to fill a sanctuary with people. We don't want transfer growth, right? Where we steal people from other churches. That's not the type of growth that we really are dreaming about. We want to see new people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want to see new people be baptized because they've never been baptized before. Stories like Jamie's and Diane's, those testimonies that we've seen of God's movement. I believe that's what God wants to do in this place. Amen? But we all have a role to play in stepping out in radical obedience. We all have a role to play in that. I can't do that alone. Our leaders can't do that alone. It is you being faithful in your ministry to those who are around you, speaking the truth of the gospel, living an empowered Holy Spirit life. It's on us. I really believe that God desires to do that. Not just so that we can say, we filled our sanctuary. That's the least of my worries. The most important thing is to see God's kingdom grow with new people who did not yet know Christ. You see, that might be intimidating, but he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That we are to go in the calling and faith and obedience and that he will equip us as we go. Simpson says the priests and the people followed the, the ark. They did not go ahead of it. You cannot walk with God and yet do all the time as you please. We must see God's way and then follow. This is obedience. Seeing God's way and following. The third marker we see is the marker of harshness. Now that might be another one like, what are you saying? But bear with me. Crazy faith deals harshly with the flesh and sin. Crazy faith deals harshly with the flesh and sin. Joshua 6, 17 through 18, and then verse 21. The word of the Lord. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. At men's ministry last Saturday, we actually dealt with passages like this and said, how can God be so violent? What is going on? And we can wrestle with a type of scenario like this. Why would God do something like that? Well, first off, the people that were in the land were vile, wicked, evil. They were sacrificing babies to their gods. They were eating one another as cannibals. There was violence and destruction and demonic things that were happening in the land. And the second thing is that God knew that if these people were still around, that they would corrupt Israel and take Israel away from himself. And we'll see that Israel did not obey God and did not put everything to destruction. We saw in Joshua 9, Pastor Mike brought forward the Gibeonites. They were to annihilate the Gibeonites, but they didn't because they were not consulting the Lord. And the Gibeonites became a constant thorn in Israel's side. And those who were 
not destroyed and put to destruction finally came in and you see what happened to Israel first the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom if you were to read all through you will see that the people that were supposed to be annihilated actually did in fact take the people of Israel away from God what does that have to do with us do we go around annihilating people no we go around asking the holy spirit to annihilate the sin in our lives we say deal with it kill it take it away because i know that if i allow even a shred of this in my life it will pull me away from you crazy faith says i am going to put all of my eggs in the basket of god and i'm going to say destroy every wicked thing within me take everything out that would hinder me from walking in faith and and let me go into your path. And we say, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And when we walk in that type of obedience, when we are harsh with our flesh and our sin, we will see incredible things. <laughs>
Yes, in your precious name I pray.